0: When organizations hire managers, they tend to look for experience in a similar role or someone that might be able to take the team or organization to a higher level or a different strategic place. It's rare to come across hiring teams that select managers on a, quote, does not drive their team crazy basis. And there are a few management issues that people complain about as much as this one, micromanagement.
1: Welcome to the Indigo Podcast. An exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us
0: at www.indigopodcast.com.
1: Today, Chris, we are talking about micromanagement and micromanagers. Bad Bosses.
0: Yeah, Lee. we hate it. We, I mean, we schmeagle, we hate it, right? <laughs> like, it's the worst. I mean, it's probably like, I don't know. if it, It's hard to get the data on this, but it'd probably be the most, one of the most talked about or most annoying features of organizational life.
1: I'll say this people tend to like to hate it. They talk about how they don't like it. And we'll talk about perhaps some instances in which micromanagement is fine. But you're right. Many times people like to badmouth micromanagement and for some good reasons. You know, in various courses that I've taught in my role as a professor, I sometimes at the beginning of the semester will ask students to talk about some different ways in which managers are good and ways in which managers are bad. And invariably, when I say, hey, give me some examples of a manager not being effective invariably one of the first things that will come up in the class is being a micromanager or being uh, someone who uh, engages in a lot of micromanagement so we thought that this was a good topic for us to discuss here uh, on the podcast we really haven't done this before which is actually kind of surprising
0: yeah sometimes i like to be micromanaged though
1: sometimes you need to be micromanaged
0: yeah i know if my wife (laughs) sends me to the grocery store and it's and it's not for a meat or the adult beverage section. I don't know how to find it. <laughs> and if I don't have a picture on my cell phone of exactly the type of organic free-range granola snack bars for the kids, it's I'm not going to get it, you know? Like I I get anxiety when I go in I'm in the interior of the grocery store and I might not make it alive. Don't send me into the interior. But that that reminds me of this idea of situational leadership, right? Um, that's what Hershey Blanchard is that that, those are Uh those guys. Right. And like, on, they do a, um, and we'll put this in the show notes. They do a quad chart and on one of the accesses is a level of readiness, how ready you are to do a task. Right. And on the other one, there's a motivation. So, but if you have low motivation and low readiness, which is me, every time I go to the grocery store, you need to use a type of leadership called telling. Or sometimes some people could s- consider that micromanage. Hey, I need exactly this, I need exactly that. And to somebody that feels really competent to do or execute on a task, when you're that specific, you know, it can come off as micromanagement.
1: So today we're gonna to talk about what is micromanagement. Before we get into some of these other details, we're gonna talk about why it occurs and what happens when it does. And then we're going to talk about how to deal with micromanagement from three different perspectives. So thinking as a senior leader who's wanting to ensure that micromanagement isn't happening. And then we're going to talk about it in terms of a leader who wants to be a good leader and not engage in this thing called micromanagement. And then we'll talk about it from the perspective of a subordinate, someone who is being micromanaged and what that might look like and what that person might do under those circumstances. So let's start with that first piece, which is, what is micromanagement? How might we define it? And what's interesting is that if we look at the academic literature, some of the research on this, there, there really isn't one definition of micromanagement. It's kind of one of these things where uh, people have, up at least, uh, up to this point at least, just kind of assumed that people know what we're talking about when we talk about micromanagement. But in general, it's, it encompasses a variety of behaviors, things like... A manager really wanting excessive control or attention to detail over what a person is doing and how they're doing it and a variety of other behaviors.
0: You know what? Jobs used to be accused of this. Apparently, he looked over every single. You're referring
1: to Steve Jobs. who And who was, who yeah, was Steve, Steve Jobs? Jobs. Well,
0: he, he started Lego. No, Ben, come on. Everybody knows who Steve Jobs is. I, I know. Not necessarily. Yes. Apple. S- former CEO of Apple but apparently every detail of the Apple stores he would right. go through like the colors the layout all that kind of stuff now some people right so we're talking behaviors here we say excessive control or attention to detail some people actually admire right. that this is a boss who's getting it done what do you think about that one ben
1: well it's all, on some uh, at some level that that could be the case uh, i think it it you know when you're dealing with trying to make something perfect, there's probably, and you had someone like Steve Jobs involved, there's probably going to be some micromanagement, and there's probably going to be some feelings that get hurt along the way as they're trying to achieve some sort of ideal design. Um, you know, I, I think that part of it comes into play, though, when there's this perception of a lack of trust. So, for example, when a manager is really surveilling employees, you know, asking for status updates every five minutes, uh, watching over the person's shoulder, uh, perhaps figuratively or even literally, Uh, maybe really insisting on uh, specific ways to do something, like how to get it done, Uh, you know, so maybe it's a way that's not even really essential. Uh, Instead of saying, this is what I want in terms of an outcome, and then letting the person use his or her own brain to get there, The micromanager gets involved in those little details and says, no, it must be done this exact way, right? Now, there may be some good reasons why in certain circumstances that it does need to be done that way, right? And that maybe is kind of in the Steve Jobs example. Maybe he has a really good reason why he wants things a certain way, a certain type of aesthetic perhaps in his retail locations, uh, but you know, you could also imagine maybe in shutting down a nuclear reactor, yeah, we, we probably want to do that in a very prescribed way. And you know what? If I'm the one pushing those buttons, I probably want somebody looking over my shoulder, making sure I'm doing it the right way. Uh, but if those, if those methods aren't necessarily absolutely essential, it really can start to make you feel like you're not being trusted and then can be this perception of micromanagement.
0: Right. And I'm thinking about, so, uh, let's keep going, Ben. That was such a good answer. Let me give you another question that might tee us up for this conversation. What do we learn about people and job uh, satisfaction in
1: relation to autonomy and that kind awesome of Awesome question. I'm glad you asked. So when we talk about job satisfaction, what, uh, you know, there are a variety of ways to look at this. But one thing that we can look at uh, when, when we're talking about what makes a job satisfying or a job motivating we can look at the work itself like that's one aspect that makes a job uh satisfying or makes it motivating there are other things of course pay supervision uh you know promotion opportunities your coworkers, and so forth but when we look at the work itself there's some aspects of that work that can make it intrinsically uh satisfying or not one of those has to be whether or not uh, you use a variety of skills So variety is part of it, right? If I'm using different skills, different types of knowledge in the course of my day, that can make for a rather satisfying experience because most people don't like doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Another aspect is autonomy, right? Having some ability to uh, dictate how you get something done using your own creativity, your own ingenuity, your own knowledge and skill to determine how to do something Uh, That does give us a sense of satisfaction in the work itself. And that's where this piece of micromanagement comes into play, because if you take away that autonomy or at least that perception of autonomy as a manager, then people are going to, you know, really start to oftentimes really start to react negatively to that. They're going to see it as a breach of trust. Uh, They're just going to see it as annoying Um, And there are a variety of other things that go into satisfaction with the work itself. But there's that autonomy piece here. When that autonomy is denied in the case of micromanagement, um, you know, it it just doesn't bode well for that employee. It can make for a rather unpleasant experience. And I think most of our listeners, and I know I, and perhaps you, have been in those situations.
0: Yeah. Come on. We're in the military, (laughs) Ben. There's... There's no way you get through a 20-year-plus career in the military without being micromanaged at mm-hmm. some point. And if you're on active duty, if you're like, you can't be like, this guy could go jump in the lake. They could take your pay. They can mess you up. They could throw you out and like make it hard for you to find another job. So you're in a crucible. Wanting to be micromanaged or not, you're just going to have to eat that bad job sandwich for a while, <laughs> right? But the rub here, sometimes, because let's take the commander of a Mm -hmm. Navy ship, right, Ben? You're in the Navy. That commander is responsible for everything that boat does and fails to do. Right. Right? The buck stops with him at the end of the day. And so sometimes he might say something, you know, like, at the end of the day, it's his neck. I get it. But but the, the rub is... What if he comes in and he gets assigned junior staff, maybe he has a bunch of bridge crew that isn't as veteran. And so he sees them making maybe some small mistakes and you can't make a, a small mistake might be, well, I only it hit one foot of that island and it <laughs> tore a giant hole in my boat. Well, it's like, I didn't hit the whole island, just it was one foot, man, on a 200 foot ship. Like that doesn't work. And so he may say, Right. And this is where I see the rub in this micromanagement. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these jack wagons are horrible. And we'll talk about how the detailed ways they could be horrible and what you might be able to do about it. But he may not have the comfort with that staff. So he may micromanage everything for a while. And it's bad if he gets in that habit and does it. Oh, I forgot how to not micromanage. The best people, they'll dip into the level of micromanagement that's appropriate and then they'll come back up as competency is built. But that's in that Hershey Blanchard Mm -hmm. model, right? You have a readiness access and you have a um, motivation access. Now in the military, you don't get to choose not to be motivated. They they have ways to make sure that they install motivation and not getting paid is one of those, right? So your wife is like, "Why, why is our check bouncing and I can't buy food at the commissary? Well, I wasn't motivated enough today babe. So I sorry, I'll get right on that, right? So but there's a perception difference. I mean it's ripe between man, you know, manager, leader and doer, you're going to have different perceptions on absolutely anything, right? Because you're different people. And looking at that, right? Like I think I'm ready to do this and that that manager may not feel right. that way.
1: And in those high stakes types of circumstances, you know, you're going to have some some micromanagement, right? When it's super high visibility, when there's high stakes stuff going on, when it's that, you know, th- that operation involving a a ship or the, you know, the, the nuclear reactor or weapons. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people looking and people are going to be making sure that it's going the way it's supposed to be going. And that's good, right? Because you want to catch any small errors, any small deviations from procedure well before it spins out of control and becomes something that you can't manage. So, sometimes I think we su- we can suggest micromanagement can be good. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you've got to micromanage. You know, you've already mentioned, you know, if if you're sending Chris to the store to get anything other than meat or booze, you need to micromanage that situation with
0: or, or come com- <laughs> with me and hold
1: my hand, <laughs> which I'm sure your wife just finds uh, absolutely um, fun to do, right? So, but but there's there's some micromanagement that needs to happen there. Now, hopefully, you have actually some motive. You mentioned that you have no motivation there either, but hopefully, you do have some motivation because you want to make your family happy and so forth.
0: No, it it happens. The motivation happens. It's just once I've loaded my cart with meat and booze. There's no more room. I don't know where all that motivation, (laughs) there's no, there's no more motivation there. You're like, wait, I need to get
1: broccoli. Right. Right. So, but in that situation, that's where you need some direction. You need to be told, here's exactly what we need. Here's where to find it. And that helps you accomplish that task. And uh, the same thing is true in any other low readiness situation. So you mentioned perhaps you have on a Navy ship, you have some junior officers, some junior uh, personnel who don't have a lot of experience, who are maybe running the ship at that moment, driving it, navigating it. They need to be told more what to do than someone who really has done it many, many times. Uh, That's just natural. And I think that's where Uh, You know, we'll talk about some implications much later on, but that's where the leader needs to recognize that his or her leadership style has to adapt given what the people are doing and who the people are. Are they novices or are they experts? So, I think, you know, so getting back to this topic of can micromanagement be good? Absolutely, it can be when you have those truly novice employees. They really need the direction. Now, they may not receive that really well. um, And I think that's where just, they're still going to hate they your might. guts, no well, matter what well, you I, do. Well, I think that you can, <laughs> as a leader, uh, communicate in a better way, right? Say, look, here's the situation and why I'm going to be very directive here. You're new. This is very high stakes. We've got to get this right, right? And then going into uh, your directive type of mode and saying, hey, as we learn this and become more proficient, I can start to back off. Uh, so you also have the situation in which some subordinates are just bad communicators. They don't, they don't realize, or maybe they do realize, but don't communicate the the necessity of giving updates about what's going on. Maybe it's something that's really time sensitive and they're just kind of, they're working on it, but they're not providing the, they don't realize that there's this broader, uh, external type of environment that they exist in, that they need to provide some more updates. They really need to be more communicative in that situations. And that's when hey, the boss might be really getting in into their business, so to speak, because he or she needs that information.
0: Right. When you have that stuff, you know, communication's a two-way mm-hmm. street. So I know if back when I was an individual contributor in organizations, if my boss ever had to come ask me for something, I, I knew like, whoops, I, I need to up my cadence. And so that might be, Hey, like Ben gives me a project and I'm like, that sounds good. I think it's going to take uh, three, four weeks. How about I give you a status update every Wednesday and Friday? Does that work for you? And then that, that immediately lets that manager's stress level start to go down. Wow, this guy's going to own it. Now, he might check on Tuesday and he'll be like, yeah, we're going to do on Wednesday, right? Remember? Right. You know, you can have that kind of competition. If I feel that I'm getting micromanaged. I might, when it's the appropriate time, it's not a high emotional moment, take the boss aside and say, Hey, listen, I, I think I might not be in the doing the kind of job you want me to be doing right now. And 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 he might, well, why? Or or could I I tell you why? Well, you keep, you know, what I perceive as micromanaging. So I want to know what I'm doing. Because I like to be competent and hit home Mm -hmm. runs every day for you, chief, right? What do I got to do to earn your trust, right? Now, and the same thing works for the, and this is kind of implications. We'll get back to some different stuff. Not all micromanagers are well-meaning. A lot of them really are jackwagons. (laughs) Your intuition is probably correct. But if you're that manager, before you're like, ooh, I'm about to have to get into this person's territory on their job. You might preface like, hey, listen, let's do this one together, and then let's talk. And then just be frank. Hey, listen, I think you're a great guy. Glad you're part of the team. Here's the areas of your job you're conducting really well. Here's the areas where I don't think you're doing well. And let's get a plan together to get you where I need you to be so I don't have to be up in your grill all the time.
1: That's a much higher level conversation in terms of uh, quality than what I oftentimes see, which is... The suffer in silence or the just waiting until just letting it fester until it just turns into this blow up moment or then maybe someone just quits. Right. So I think that that's a, a really good uh, path to follow. So we've talked about what micromanagement is. We've talked about what you know, perhaps why it can be good sometimes. Let's move now to talk about why micromanagement happens and some implications of in terms of what happens when it does And what's interesting is that, well, as we've alluded to earlier, there actually isn't a whole lot of research on micromanagement. You would think that there's a whole lot more. Maybe there's just some stuff that I didn't find. I would encourage anybody out there, any graduate students in industrial and organizational psychology or organizational behavior, human resources to uh, think about, hey, maybe I should research this thing of of micromanagement. Now, there are um, many scholars who study things like abusive supervision and things like that. And there, there's some perhaps crossover there, but not, not a whole lot of research out there specifically on micromanagement. However, one article that we did find uh, treated micromanagement as a form of toxic leadership. Right? So you can uh, certainly um, infer from that that uh, this author is not speaking highly of micromanagement, lumping it in there with toxic <laughs> leadership. So this comes from Marco Tavanti in this article in Human Resource Management. Uh, so this is a quote I'll, I'll read for you all um, where he, he says toxic micromanagers quote toxic leaders who micromanage their subordinates want to demonstrate their superiority and dominance the excessive control or attention to details a characteristic of a micromanaging style becomes dysfunctional when utilized as an instrument of systemic control and influence over subordinates micromanagers and leaders reflect their lack of trust in the subordinate's capacity to make decisions and carry on with a project. The focus is as much on quality control of the product as reflecting a dynamic directed toward re- reinforcing the ego and supremacy of the leader. Hence, micromanagers are usually irritated when a subordinate makes decisions without consulting them, even if the decision is beneficial to the organization as, and it is within the subordinate's level of authority." End quote. So, some interesting dynamics that we've kind of already touched on here with regard to micromanagement, but one being that lack of trust that it implies. And what I thought was interesting too is this idea that micromanagers can sometimes get irritated even when the subordinate is doing things that seem to be within their level of authority and seem to be for the best of the organization because it's You know, I I need to be consulted as a leader because I, you know, this part of my ego, my identity as being the dear leader, supposedly, right? Yeah,
0: I've I've sat in some very senior level meetings with like leadership of organizations and the CEO runs the show Mm -hmm. and they deal with turnover, right? Because once you know you work your way through the individual contributor, you're a director, you're a VP, now you're a VP at a bigger organization, even bigger organization. Finally, you've paid your dues and you want to leave your mark on the business environment or an organization, right? You've been 30, 40 years building up this competency and you, you get hired by a place and the CEO micromanages you. And you're like, dude, I'm not straight out of grad school two years. I'm 40 years experience in product design for large electronics manufacturers with ever increasing levels of responsibility. But could you see somebody less than something like that working for a Steve Jobs that wants to have charge of every little detail? And so it can become a rub, right? between somebody that just has that and it may even be toxic, right? I, You don't trust this guy, Mr. CEO. Who are you going to trust? They're literally one of the top 10 of these globally. And they just can't do it. And there's something in that person that needs that kind of control. And we use that term dear leader as if they run some kind of banana republic in the Caribbean, right? But that's the kind of vibe. It doesn't matter how competent, how excellent. And it's tons of strategic management and other type of books have been written about how those leaders are blind. And if, they, if they're successful, great. But that might be more luck of the draw because we know that teams help build stuff. So, you know, you'll never see a job description that looks like this. Looking for a global thought leader in the product development space that's willing to be completely micromanaged <laughs> by our crazy CEO. You, you don't see that. But it happens, It does.
1: You know, there are probably some other reasons why a manager would engage in some of these micromanaging behaviors that perhaps aren't so nefarious. You know, one of them might be that they just really want to be connected with lower level workers. They want to understand what's going on. Maybe, and I'm giving them a lot of benefit of the doubt here, maybe they want to show that they care. Uh, But one thing that's kind of interesting is sometimes... You have leaders who engage in these micromanagement behaviors because they actually feel a little bit more comfortable doing the work or with the details than they do with the tasks of managing and leading. So they're regressing back to that individual contributor role and ignoring the the management and leadership that they should be doing. So they're getting into your business because that's what they feel most comfortable with. Uh, and, uh, that certainly can lead to some more micromanagement. Uh, they also might be just super scared of failure, uh, for their team. So they're so scared that some, something might happen with their team. That's going to reflect badly on them. And that just would be such a hit to their ego that they want to make sure that they know exactly what's going on and try to get ahead of anything that that might happen. Uh, those are certainly some reasons why this would occur.
0: Yeah. You know, Those first three there, you know, you want to be connected to lower level workers. You want to show you care. You feel more comfortable doing the work rather than managing and leading this. We see this all the time and somebody just gets promoted. Lots of times it's more junior level um, management Mm -hmm. staff, director level, senior manager. They want to be connected to lower level workers because that's what they've been their whole life. And and lots of times, those first leadership roles, other people, the other managers in the org are doing their own thing. It could be really, really lonely. Mm-hmm. And you're used to working on a team where you're like, yeah, boss stinks. All right, let's get this done for him, right? You have that camaraderie and you miss it. So you want to go hang out with those people. Um, you might want to show them you care because back when you were on a team, the way you showed people you care is you just showed up for them, you know? Nancy lost her mom. So you have flowers and you, and you go to lunch with her every day till she starts feeling better. Right. Um, and then the whole feeling comfortable, more comfortable doing the work. Well, you're starting to manage, you're starting to settle into that role and you're going to have some more time than when you're a fully utilized resource. And I know some managers have said, what should I do with this time? Should I schedule meetings? No, so <laughs> don't, don't schedule more meetings. Somebody will fill your schedule up with meetings. This is time to do reflection on how your team's working and building your stuff. Right. up.
1: And it's also time for you to be thinking about the long term instead of just the everyday fires, so to speak, that you're trying to put out. It's also possible that micromanagers engage in micromanagement because it's the only form of leadership that they've really seen. They have not seen what right looks like. They think that this is what leadership and management looks like. And so they do it. They think that they're doing the right thing. Uh, You also can have a situation in which uh, upper management, um, you know, really starts to, uh, you know, create this dynamic in which micromanagers uh, or that management in general just feels like they're really in charge and that they have this power right over people, and it just turns into this performance of of kind of sticking it to the people who uh, are actually doing the work, and that's certainly not uh, something that's productive. And I would suggest probably correlates with a higher turnover rate uh, and, and lower retention.
0: Right. You know, when leaders, depending on the organization, leaders, this could be a sign of leadership derailment. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a bunch of managers under you and you only see two out of 10 doing this, you might want to plug in. Right. Um, also, some people are really structure minded. Right. I've seen this with a lot of like engineering teams that I've worked. Hey, there needs to be this kind of structure. And if it's not there, they will seek to provide it. Like sometimes teams work best in them. You know what? We do 80% of this. And you know, sometimes we just stop and fill customers' complaint as they come up. You know, my job is 80% organized, 20% whack-a-mole chaos of the day. And, And that's fine. But some people have a hard time with that. And that might not be a good like job person fit you know, job role fit type thing. But um, sometimes it's just we need this structure and that they're just going to dictate
1: it by That's field. right. So those are some reasons why a micromanagement might occur. Let's turn our attention now to the impact, though, that this has on people and on organizations. And if you're someone out there who perhaps is right now going through uh, being micromanaged or maybe in the recent past has been <laughs> micromanaged, you probably know exactly what's going on here. But I think the first thing, and we've already talked about this, though, is that it, it really undermines trust. Uh, when you're being micromanaged, you feel like your boss doesn't trust you. And that that's no fun way to go to work in the morning. Um, we oftentimes, as we mentioned before, are motivated by the autonomy that our job brings us. And this gets rid of that. It destroys that. And uh, really kind of makes us feel like we have to do things a certain way. And that can really be damaging to our motivation. And guess what? If you're a, a top performer and you have options in terms of where you might work, you're probably going to start brushing up your LinkedIn profile, start looking at your resume, start talking to some contacts and looking to see what else is out there, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and burnout. Mm. And and you could tell, I swear, I I haven't seen any. There might be like a professional article out there about this but i think one of the precursors to burnout the the first inkling that you're headed in that direction is you start to not want to go to work you're not looking forward to it right right so yeah when you're, you're leading to team employee burnout like one of the things like hey you can assess this by saying hey how are you feeling about coming into work today
1: and assuming that you have a good relationship with that person maybe they'll respond honestly right and or if you're a micromanaging jerk, they're, they're going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> so certainly it can lead to team and employee burnout. It can also just make the team look bad. Um, you know, if they're always getting micromanaged and they're just you know, low morale, uh, that, that loss of uh, motivation at the team level. And it can actually slow down the team. Because you think about it, if if the boss is having to be apprised of every single detail and every single decision is having to go up to the boss, then the team is not going to be able to sense and respond to change very well. They're not going to be able to move quickly uh, because you're just basically treating them like semi-programmable robots at that point. You're not actually treating them like humans who have uh, certain types of skills and knowledge that they can... Use to to help move the the organization or the team forward towards its objectives. So, you know, the last thing I'll I'll just mention here in terms of the influence of micromanagement on a team is it it stymies their development. It keeps that team from actually developing. It makes them actually more dependent on the boss, and that's that's problematic, right? And you can see that sometimes even when you have a, a manager who is really smart, really skilled, and they never they never let the, the team see them trip, so to speak. They never let the team see them fail at anything. They're going to become so dependent on that boss that they're not going to develop much themselves. Uh, you've got to make them, uh, you know, help that team continue to use, uh, its own, um, abilities. Yeah. I love
0: that. All right. Well, now that we kind of know who, who and what they Ooh. are and where they are, they're, they're everywhere. everywhere. Right. So, let's talk about how do we deal with this, Mm. right? If we want to flourish at work and beyond, which is what this podcast is about. So let's just say how to deal with micromanagement from three perspectives. Let's start off with a senior leader that's wanting to ensure that this is
1: not happening in his org. Great. So imagine you you are a senior executive. Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you are a senior executive and you're listening to this, you're saying, okay, Ben and Chris, I, I get it micromanagement not a good thing. I don't want this to be happening in my organization. What do I do to, to help ensure that this is not happening? And the first thing I would say is well, we're dealing with humans, so the only thing we can do is increase the probability that we have good outcomes and decrease the probability of bad outcomes. But we can't do this. We can. And the first thing that I would suggest and this is this really goes back to how do I have a good culture? How do I have high productivity? How do I lower Uh, my, um, you know, uh, voluntary turnover and increase my commitment. Well, starts with hiring. Do a good job hiring. Rigorous hiring practices. Make sure that you have those professionals who can add value to the team without needing to be driven uh, through micromanagement. That's a great place to start. It also applies to, you know, how you hire micromanagers. Um, You could probably devise. Don't hire them.
0: don't exactly. <laughs> you could devise some different
1: uh, interview questions and some scenarios perhaps to ask prospective managers about that could give you a sense of whether or not they have some of these tendencies around micromanagement. So start with hiring. I think that's a, a great thing to always keep in mind for any organization and keep in mind some of these things about micromanagement as you're doing it.
0: Yeah. Another thing is you might be the problem, buddy. You're, you're the senior leader and everybody else in your org has turned into micromanagers because you create that culture. Mm. Hey, you put out pressure on your direct reports to where's yep. my status? Where's my status? How comes this? I, you know, we see this in formations in the army. If, you, if you're going to do a big parade formation for the we have Governor's Day here in Utah and we actually do a military and the governor comes down and inspects the National Guard for the state. So we do a bit of a parade for him <laughs> and. If the parade's at 11, the general's going to say, everybody needs to be lined up by nine, (laughs) right? But then the next level leader is going to say, everybody be there by eight. And the next thing you know, you're standing at 4 a.m. watching the sun come up. You know, people are going to start passing out because they didn't bring enough water to sustain a five-hour stand around and wait. But, right, if you have that kind of culture, that drives that. And we don't have that. We're not getting there five hours early for the Good. governor's thing. So that, thankfully, but I have been in some formations where it was like that. You might be driving that kind of that kind of leadership. If you regularly yell at your direct reports, mm. you might find more yelling. in because most people, sad to say, don't learn how to be leaders from evidence based leading books and awesome podcasts like this one. They learn through monkey see, monkey do. And if you're a senior leader, every eye is on you and they're watching you and they're going to start, their mirror neurons are going to fire and they're going to start emulating the way you talk and the way you behave.
1: That's well said. Another thing you can do as a senior leader is you can assess for micromanagement. You could ask for it and ask people about it in your annual surveys or in poll surveys that you do. You could also, you know, perhaps ask about it more informally. I would also suggest that okay so we talked about hiring well well once you got once you have people have good management and leadership skills training and that's where you would talk about things like micromanagement and when it's appropriate those couple times when it's appropriate and those many times when it's not what it looks like what the influence it could have on individuals and on teams might be and some different ways to uh, to maybe get the outcomes you're looking for without micromanaging so I think that's 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 just absolutely critical, uh, making sure you have that, that training dialed in.
0: I, I, think about, I, I think about sports, right? You know, they'll interview the coach, and it's like, so how'd you guys get this team to this next level? Lots of them will say, you know, we went back and focused on the fundamentals. Mm. Yeah. And when you – so micromanaging, you'd be like, all right. All right, kids, first lesson about micromanagement. Don't do it, okay? <laughs> all right, go out there, be successful. Like, that's not how it happens. This management and leadership training that you're executing needs to be on the fundamentals unless you have a way of assessing the quality of the leadership within your organization. And you could make sure that some of these base level stuff, like using micromanagement correctly and not micromanaging in a toxic way, you know, that wouldn't come up all the time if the fundamentals were executed well in your order. That's
1: right. It reminds me of... Uh, a former master chief petty officer of the Navy, so that's the highest-ranking enlisted sailor in the United States Navy. He was, he was in that job uh, a handful of years ago. His name is Mike Stevens, and I happen to know him personally. We worked on a, a few things together and have stayed in touch. And one thing that he he had this program he called Brilliant on the Basics, and it was things about you know developing sailors, about making sure that they were being onboarded well when you had new folks show up to the ship or to the squadron or the command, or whatever, uh, some really good things. And it was about, you know, not this, not really complex topics, but being brilliant on the basics. And I think we can do that in our organizations, too. Another thing that I think is really important it, when it, in terms of that leadership and management skills training has to do with those transition points. When you have leaders that are moving into, in particular, their first supervisory role, maybe they've been in charge of some projects, but maybe this is the first time that they're in charge of people. When they're making that transition, uh, that's a key time to help them understand that everything that they did that got them to that point, those behaviors, uh, those behaviors that made them successful might not be the exact same ones they need to do to be successful as a manager. So, for example, you know, maybe they gave, became successful by being super detail oriented, uh, super um, uh, into the weeds, so to speak, on every topic. Well, they can't cling to every detail as much now in, when they're in a supervisory role. Uh, they need to relinquish some of that control and focus on the bigger picture. Uh, so, that's a, a really key time and a good way to perhaps get ahead of some of these micromanaging behaviors.
0: Yeah, it, depending on your org, it's unlikely. You're not pushing your organization hard enough if people can just assume a leadership position and have zero challenges. Mm. So you should push your org hard so they have leadership challenges, and then you should triage and support those leaders to help them develop those growth and resiliency skills to take you to the next level. Um, reporting, this is mm-hmm. another piece. It's a big like all the descriptions of micromanagement or a lot of them pretty much had, you know, incessant need for status updates. Well, that might mean people aren't used to sitting in their office down the hall and their direct reports are down the way and they feel nervous. How will I know they're not working? We see this in the remote working stuff. They're at home. And yeah, there's always going to be some jack wagon with that wiggle mouse app that fakes working. Right. But they might think everybody's like that. Right. Well, if you want to avoid that, train on reporting. How to build effective reports? What kind of cadence is needed? Set up that cadence. You know, if we need this at the top of the org, that means we need this from each division. You know, two weeks ahead of time, and then
1: for right. Train on reporting. That's a great tip. Another thing that leaders should consider is uh, has to do with culture, and we talk about culture a lot on this podcast, but if you have a solid culture in which you are uh, you have good norms around what leadership is and what leadership isn't you have a good climate for example around what types of behaviors are consistently expected supported and rewarded leaders coming up through that type of organization are already going to be molded in a certain way right they're going to already have had we hope some good role models for leadership uh, they've they understand things like uh, creating a, a climate that's supportive, that has a high degree of psychological safety. Um, they know how to give feedback. They know how to do both the informal and formal aspects of managing performance, all of those types of things. Uh, then you're going to have a, a more healthy type of organization. So one thing I would, I would suggest, and I'm just thinking about the things that we've mentioned here, uh, is that there aren't, there aren't a bunch of, sil- there's no one silver bullet. There's no one thing that we're saying, do this and and you'll have zero micromanagers. It's unfortunately not the case. There's a a constellation of good management practices that will make it less likely and make your organization much more poised for uh, flourishing both at the management and the subordinate level.
0: Yeah. If you train on micromanagement, not just your leaders, but everybody in the organization, like imagine training all the individual contributors on top 10, management, numskullery behaviors, right? And you had a feedback way to where like, hey, this manager seems to be struggling and the following, you know, these are the micromanagement behaviors that I'm seeing as an individual contributor and while th- why they aren't helpful. You can provide some targeted coaching, but notice that kind of transparency and everything you just described, Ben, it's about having a healthy body. And a healthy body of an organization drives off disease. Mm. And that's, that's what we're like, right? Driving off disease when your body, maybe you get a scratchy throat. Maybe you have a little bit of fever. It's a very organic way in which your body finds the stuff that's not good for it and helps push it out, right? It's the same, you gotta build that kind of organic response. It can't be this structured ABC one, two, three Right. There's not a, you know, magic bullet for this stuff. But if you build that organic, healthy, thriving organizational culture, you'll drive off the things that ail your competitors. And I'd say win in the marketplace.
1: That's right. And just like if you have a scratchy throat and perhaps have a little bit of a fever and some chills, you might in today's environment take a covid test. In an organization, you might if you're starting to hear some rumblings about someone being micromanager, being a micromanager, or hearing various uh, or seeing some metrics on perhaps bad retention in certain areas, that's where some more organizational diagnosis might be in order. So we've talked about what you might do at the senior level. If you're a senior executive saying you don't want micromanagers in your organization, let's now turn our attention toward that leader who says, "Yeah, I, I hear you." I don't want to be that way. I want to be better than that. I want to be a good leader. Let's talk about some things perhaps that a leader might do to perhaps uh, not engage in the bad micromanagement and avoid some of these behaviors and their outcomes.
0: Yeah, the first thing you can do as a manager is set expectations, right? You know, hey, this is how I see the team right now. And here's the gaps. Here's where I see where we need to grow. What do you guys think about my view of the world? Okay, I hear you. Let me tell you why that might've been okay last year. This year, we have these new earnings goals or whatever, right? You gotta get a hive mind with your team. And one of that thing is set the expectations, but don't set them necessarily concretely initially, right? Get some team input before you set those things in
1: concrete. That's great. You know another thing you can do, especially if you're a manager of a new team or a team, perhaps you're you're put in charge and you don't know these people, you don't know their capabilities or you maybe you get a new person on the team and you're trying to figure them out a little bit, is you can start to test uh, their competence. You can say, "I need x, y, or z done and see how they do with it, and maybe start with something that's a little bit lower stakes so that then, as you start to develop a sense for how this person operates uh, their level of competence and skill, then you can start to, uh, assign more to that person and expect, uh, certain, uh, certain outcomes. One thing I, I think is really important to think about when, it, in terms of delegating and delegating, of course, being that, that practice of giving responsibility, um, or uh, authority to someone else to do something. Uh, is that you should develop first or ensure that the person has the skills and knowledge before you give them a bunch of stuff to do, (laughs) especially if it's something that's high stakes. Uh, So develop and then delegate, or at least know where they are before, in terms of their knowledge and skill before you give them that task. Uh, And uh, and, this is something where you just have to continue to practice. One thing I think about when when I'm thinking about this this whole idea of micromanaging and um, development and delegation, Uh, Is someone who I work with in the Navy right now who, you know, came onto my team around actually around the same time that I took charge of the team. So it's kind of the same time, had a great reputation coming into it. And uh, I, I, you know, assigned a few different things. This person was knocking it out of the park and continue to do so. Very quickly, I was able to extricate myself from being a micromanager. Um, because I know this person has it. Like they're, they're good to go. This person's a, you know, a fire and forget type person in terms of you send them off in a direction, they're going to knock it out of the park. And then you just ask questions along the way to make sure that you understand what they're doing. Make sure that you're supporting that person, getting back to your whole idea of situational leadership. Um, because if I were to micromanage this person, I know that this person would be like, wait, do you not trust me to get stuff done? Like I'm, Consistently delivering for you, or he'd yeah, leave. Or, or, yeah, or would yeah, leave. He probably leave. probably would. So, uh, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as a leader. Um, and you know, going along with that is just creating a culture and an environment in which people can speak up, and they can be honest about the challenges they're facing. That they can be honest with you if you are micromanaging them. I think if if you really want to be a good leader, then you would want for people to speak up and say, "Hey, boss," like. Why are you asking me this stuff all the time? Kind of like you talked about early in the, in the beginning, right? You gave that example of, of having a conversation with a boss. Um, you want people to have that conversation with you if you're truly trying to be, uh, be good at, at, at a leader in your leadership and management responsibilities.
0: You know, those conversations are pretty low risk. Yeah, I think they're a lot lower you know, risk, if, if right? Dry, I, think, if, I think if you approach them yes, correctly, if you do it right, you know, if you say, hey, I'm concerned I'm not doing a good enough job for you. Like, it's really hard to be, that's right, <laughs> get out there right now, I, I yeah. hate you too, and your shoes are stupid, right? Or like, no, that's never going to happen, right? But it, So if you broach it correctly, or guys, I'm concerned I'm micromanaging you, and I won't know how to stop if you don't tell me how. So if any of you aren't happy with the micromanaging you're receiving, just, you know, you can leave an anonymous note or whatever you guys feel comfortable, right? with. But one of the things that I saw in an organization I worked with earlier in my life is they set such high, specifically sales Mm. rules, right? And that people ended up because somebody say, hey, listen, I think we're at the best we can do and provide a good customer experience. There's always some jack wagon. It's like, I can do a better job. I will set. And eventually, though, you can only drive so much out of people and then they'll cut corners and cheat. And this organization, which I won't, you know, put out on the airwaves here now, ended up getting many, 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 many millions of dollars lawsuits because people were positioning the finance, because you had to sell the item and you had to sell a financial service. You'd get bonuses if you sold. It was Wells Fargo. It's public knowledge. No, this is another one.
1: Oh, different one? Okay. Well, Wells
0: Fargo is doing it. Right. So, right? But if you put so much thing, people will cheat and break stuff and it'll destroy your brand. So you have to be pragmatic here. Uh, People have to be able to be honest with the challenges of the Mm -hmm. work. And and don't disabuse yourself of the idea of, I can just get a bunch more people that can do this better. Have you seen the hiring environment (laughs) out there
1: right now? Good luck. It's like 3.5% unemployment or something.
0: And and there's a few geniuses out there, but most people clump in the middle yeah. of the pack. So you need a business model and a workforce strategy that wins. So that means you have to have people that can be honest about that stuff.
1: A few other things that you can do is certainly going back to those expectations, developing those norms that you really want in your team, uh, and uh, you know making sure that you're crafting those expectations in a way that people understand, uh, that are consistent. So people know what to expect, right? And I think that that's oftentimes one of the first things that I ask a leader if they say, you know, I've got this poor performer, I, you know, I like to say, well, what support have you given that person? Does that person really know what's expected of him or her? Um, so making sure that that's clear, I think, can really get ahead of some of these micromanagement issues um, and, and also just developing those high quality relationships. You know, when we talk about leadership on this podcast and when I talk about it in general, uh, a lot of it boils down to having high quality relationships with people so they can be honest with you, so you can be honest with them. And at the same time, they know that, you know, in the marrow of your bones, you care about their long term well-being. That's that's huge. Uh, people like to work for folks like that.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I would do with some junior leaders is make them get away from their team. Mm hey, for the next six weeks, you're going to drive results from your team without being in their proximity, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, people got thrown into that leadership challenge with the pandemic, but it helped, you know, well, how do I know this? How do I know this? Solving those kinds of questions can develop systems and a cadence of communication and all these healthy behaviors if you can drive. You know, you're not cracking the whip on a bunch of ox, right? right? That, that's not, these. we're dealing with real live humans. This org has real live humans, right? And so you wanna treat them as such. So you're gonna have to do that. And one of the key pieces there is to start to think about expectations, not task creations. I see this all the time in organizational leaders where they say, all right, I, I wrote all the tasks that need to be done. Billy, you've got these three. Susan, you have these two, right? Filson, I'm not giving you anything because you never do anything around here. Go make coffee, right? Like, so you'll divide up the tasks on what they should be doing, but getting your team to function better and people say, how do I get people to take ownership of what they're doing? Well, set the expectations. Team, we need to get here. How are we going to do it? And having a co-developed plan can be something that really helps develop that kind of, self-organization and autonomy
1: awesome so we've talked about what you might do if you're a senior leader we've talked about what you might do if you're a, a leader who just wants to not be a micromanager yourself let's now turn our attention toward that situation in which you're the subordinate you are being micromanaged you're having you know flashbacks as we were describing some of those behaviors early on in the episode what are some things that you might do if you are being micromanaged? And you know, I think one of the first things is try to empathize and understand the situation. Try to understand your manager first and think about you know, how might you and your manager have better communication so that both your and your manager's needs are being met. What's the, how can you maybe increase the quality and quantity perhaps if it's needed um, of that communication and build some more trust. Um, and hopefully help them relax a little bit. Now it's not always going to work, but I think that that's a place to start. Yeah,
0: that empathy. I don't. I can't think of very many things in human interactions where empathy is not advisable.
1: Yeah, right. I would say the only thing is when you're developing large scale policy, you don't want to get hung up on single stories. Right. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Because you're. You, Right. That's a large, but you good policy will have some flex at the individual level. Yeah. Um, when you see your manager, right? You've just listened to this podcast, you've been taking notes, you know the good behaviors, you know what a senior level person should do, what a you know, a team leader or like mid-level executive should do. You have all these ideas and you're stuck with somebody who's a total micromanager. Well, listen, you can say, Hey boss, why don't we it seems like quality of work is a problem around here. Why why don't we get together and have a team meeting about and agree on what kind of quality work we're gonna do around here, right? You can just make these ideas step-by-step and improve your team and your position. You're learning a great skill, which is coaching leaders, right, you don't have to be in charge or a VP to coach other leaders, right? Sometimes the biggest leaderships on sports teams I think they did a study in the soccer teams. They thought the, the team lead person would be it. But when they did surveys, they invariably found, oftentimes it wasn't even the best player on the team, but had the most referent power in the locker room and the most influence and stuff. So if you're that individual contributor, you have all the power you need for the most part to start practicing team development by using, hey, if you're coming from a place of no organizational or institutional power, great. You're going to get really, really good at that. And you're going to get good at coaching and developing leaders that don't even report to you. You have to be so good in your advice and your direction has to be so compelling that it's like a vortex. It sucks them into that kind of behavior that you want to
1: see. And getting back to this idea of communication with your manager, I think it's really helpful if you can Get to the point where you are letting them know that, hey, look, boss, I will always raise concerns and any risks that I'm facing early and often and try to assuage some of their concerns. Because sometimes micromanaging behaviors come from a place of fear, come from a place of, uh, you know, being intolerant of ambiguity. And when leaders are in that situation, that's maybe when they revert to some of these, you know, surveilling behaviors and start asking all these questions and really get into your business. Try to generate some confidence with them and say, look, I'm always bring up things that you need to know about. And, you know, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's helpful to, you know, provide a little bit more detail than perhaps you really think they even need. And say, hey, check in once in a while. Say, hey, boss, am I providing you too much? Do you need all that? What kind of what level do you really need? Uh, information about what's going on.
0: Yeah. If they have to find you on the regs for the same thing, you need to fix yourself and just try to beat them to the punch. Right. To where they're like, dude, I get it. I get it. No, stop coding my office. I know you have this. (laughs) You it. It's already in my email five times. Right. You know, you want to be more on that side than them chasing it down because that that manager may not know to just ask, hey, listen, so I don't bug you and disturb your workday. Tuesdays at
1: nine a.m. Please, mm-hmm. right? That, that's great. That's great. You know, it's. Um, I think you you also want to make sure, like, don't don't hide from your boss. I mean, it, it, that can be actually be a fairly natural reaction if you're not being managed well. Is to just try to avoid them. Uh, but in the long term, I think it's a better. Uh, approach to to try to fix the situation fix a relationship fix fix some of those issues going on that it is to just hide
0: if you're three days from putting in your two-week notice that you're out of there yeah, okay hide. hide. but don't you're getting <laughs> interpersonal stuff does not get better when it's avoided and it'll set up a negative social dynamic um another thing and this is kind of insidious but why not you know they're micromanaging us so we can go into the guerrilla tools of you know, individual contributor survival, thank your boss when they don't micromanage. (laughs) And you don't have to be like, hey, thanks for not micromanaging me, right? But you can say, hey, I really appreciated your trust in me and getting this project done. And you can slowly, right? You're going to train them like you do, you know, the canine that you
1: keep at home to
0: work, train
1: them into the boss you need. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Another thing that you can do if none of this is working for you, and maybe you've tried it all, that's just not working, is, you know, detach a little bit. Just try not to take it too personally. Perhaps this is just how this person is and will always be, and you can't do anything about it. And in that situation, it is kind of individual contributor survival mode, where just try not to let it bother you too much. They probably do this with everybody. And so um, to the degree that you can, don't let it bother you as much as you perhaps uh, would naturally let it. Right. So one insidious
0: form of micromanagement is a boss that's both a micromanager and inconsistent. Mm. And sometimes I wonder, times I've been in this, I like, is there a personality disorder? Is there something psychological that like, because you can't tell if, if it's control, right? They're micromanaging. Okay, fine. I'm going to get their flow. I'm going to work with this micromanager, get my year or two of experience and right. bounce. But then they're really all over. Ben, what do you do with those situations?
1: Right, right. Well, and and like you said, it could be actual, you know, psychological issues. It could be narcissism, where they just really need to feel like they're the center of everything. And actually, the situation that brought us to come up with this episode on micromanagement came from a listener uh, who had a situation of a manager who is both a micromanager and inconsistent. And I think some of the things we've talked about already could help in that situation. I think this is where you, as the individual contributor or reporting to this micromanager, this inconsistent micromanager, uh, you need to be extra careful in continually, proactively clarifying the expectations and standards and what it looks like for something to be done to that boss. So that, and and if possible, it's even best if you can do this maybe via email so that then if you really end up in a sticky situation where the person is you know, saying, that's not what I asked for. This is not what I wanted. You can say, well, help me understand how I how I got off the rails here, because here's the email that we went back and forth on this. And I think I thought we had I had a good idea of what we were supposed to be doing here. Here's what I did. Help me understand the difference. Uh, so I think some you're going to have to be extra uh, proactive in all that clarification. And, you know, I think when that inconsistency is negatively influencing your work, I think you ha- you can speak up, provide that upward feedback and say, look, when when X, Y, or Z happens, when I hear this from you, uh, this is what it does to my motivation and to my ability to work. Um, so you're going to have to handle that with care so that it doesn't backfire. But uh, I think that there is a time and place sometimes for that to, to ha- happen.
0: Yeah. And don't just... Don't just say, hey, this is what you're doing that negatively impacts. Have a positive. Mm. You know, this is what you're doing with me right now. But you know how I really deliver for other bosses in the past is when I got this. Do you think we could get there? Mm. Right? I mean, so having a positive spin and not not putting a bunch of emotional weight. Now, right when you're in the down in the dumps, when there's a bunch of unemployment, well, you're not going to touch most of this stuff with a 10 foot pole. (laughs) But right now, there's such a low unemployment rate, this is a time you have some leverage. And another thing, this is actually not in our outline at all, is the nuclear option. And you'll see this, if you know that you're a stellar .NET developer and this really team stuff, if it's really, and wait to the last end, because if you're a bully and you bully bosses, they're only gonna put a pushover and and your boss kind of scenario, you're not going to get a good boss and you're going to make the life miserable. Right. But sometimes you can be a bit of a bully in a good way. You can tell that manager, stop micromanaging me. Get out of my cubicle Mm -hmm. or, you know what, let's go down to HR because I'm going to tell them how crappy you are at doing your job. (laughs) Right. Sometimes A punch in the stomach, right? There's been a two times in my career where I had to do something like this. Figuratively,
1: we're not advocating physical violence.
0: Yeah, yeah, but sometimes you just have to verbally, you know, slap them upside the head and be like, "Wake up, buddy! Mm -hmm. You don't have the authority to do this to me." Right, and better organizations will have some leverage in HR, and you can draw some lines there and help somebody get back in track. But the key point is. If you're going the nuclear option, the governance for making sure that that doesn't create, you don't want to create organizational unhealthiness on top of organizational unhealthiness. As you come back and you affirm a set of values, hopefully your company or organization's values, and the norms for how you're going to do work. And even if you have all the power, if you're the 500-foot gorilla, pound gorilla or whatever in the corner of the room, don't use that power for evil. Right? Even if it's just to get an annoyance, use that power to shape what's around. And, you know, if you're like me, I'm just going to go to bed fantasizing about telling my bosses what for. And uh, thanks for listening to us today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great, Chris. Uh, But before we close, something else that's also great that I just want to point our listeners towards. Is That has nothing to do with micromanagement, but is, is a pretty cool thing, is the day of service that uh, my family and I are putting together in memory of my son, Vincent. So um, every year, this will be the second annual Vincent William Barron Day of Service that will occur on the weekend of September 24th, 2022. So this episode will probably release here in the second week of August, 2022. So I encourage you, if you're interested in volunteering and making the world a better place, check out mightyvincent.org. And I hope you do. Please share all the stuff we have out there because I think it's a good thing that we really hope to uh, be using for decades to come to make a better difference in the world okay so today on the indigo podcast we've talked about bad bosses we've talked about the micromanager we've talked about what micromanagement is why it occurs what happens when it does and most importantly we've talked about how to deal with micromanagement from three different perspectives if you're a senior leader wanting to make sure it's not happening if you're a leader who just wants to do a good job and be a good leader and as a subordinate who is being micromanaged thanks for listening to the indigo podcast